Thank you, choir musicians. Well, uh, last week we celebrated with our patriotic service, so today we get back on schedule with um, the summer series that will end next week on these Old Testament characters called More Than uh, Stories, but Life Lessons from the Old Testament. And uh, next week we're going to have an interesting challenge. We're going to talk about Rahab next week. If you're not familiar with Rahab, you might want to go back and uh, do some reading about Rahab uh, in the Old Testament and find out about her and what we could possibly learn from Rahab. So thus far, let's review. We started on Mother's Day and we talked about Hannah, a woman of faith. Then we talked about Enoch, a man who walked with God and then God took him out of this world. We talked about Noah, studied his life. And Noah, in faith and obedience, built the ark. Then we talked about um, Abraham, who in faith followed God's leadership and he became known as the friend of God and the father of faith. Uh, Then we looked at Jacob, uh, who was a deceiving man, deceitful man. And he was transformed by his faith. Then we looked at Joseph, and we saw that in spite of all the disappointments and frustrations in his life, that he had faith in God's goodness and his plan, and, and we call that Joseph had persistent faith. Well, today we come to look at the life of Moses. And when we come to talk about Moses, there ought to be a lot of different things that you can remember about Moses' life. You know, uh, at birth, he was put uh, shortly after birth, about three months after his birth, put in the basket, put in the Nile River found by uh, Pharaoh's daughter and raised uh, in the palace. Um, do you know that Moses was a murderer? Do you remember that about his life? That Moses killed an Egyptian uh, in a struggle over a couple of uh, uh, the way that the Egyptian was mistreating the Israelites? Sometimes a lot of people forget about those things. Most every time and every week with one of these characters we looked at, somebody has said to me, you know, I didn't realize that about, about so-and-so, about that character and what happened and what they did with that. A lot of people forget about that, that Moses was a murderer. Do you know he's also a shepherd? When the time that he left and was out in the median for 40 years, uh, he, was a, he was a shepherd. And then we uh, might remember the burning bush experience that he had when God called him, that he was to go back and lead the people out of uh, Egypt and lead his Israelites out into freedom. And that was a, a major experience in his life with the burning bush. And so then that led to a series of things. The encounter with Pharaoh, the plagues that he had to go through. Then the last one was the was the, the Passover and, and celebrating that. Then he led them out and then they led to the parting of the Red Sea for their freedom. And then you might remember God gave the Ten Commandments to, and uh, Moses shared those with the people. An interesting, interesting character, strong character, strong biblical character. Uh, and uh, yet at the same time maybe he had some flaws. But we also look at his life and we see that it was a decisive faith that Moses possessed. And we'll get into that as we look uh, through that. But let's look at the beginning of his life. That's such an interesting story. Uh, so uh, phenomenal the way that that came about and the way that God's providence has at work for him to be protected in the way that he was from his birth. And we find that in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, a man in the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants uh, were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent a slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? 
Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. How providential could that be? Moses' mother got to come and nurse him and take care of him under Pharaoh's daughter's leadership. So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The reason mainly Moses is because it sounds in Hebrew like uh, the Hebrew phrase for drew him out or drew out of the water. Now that's an incredible beginning for Moses' life uh, to be born under such circumstances of that and then to be taken care of in such a profound way by the providence of God. The interesting thing is the names of Moses' parents don't show up until Exodus chapter 6 verse 20 and we find that his father's name was Amram and his mother's name was Jochebed. Now, when you look at the life of Moses, and there's so much that we could look at. I mean, we could do a whole, like a six-month series just on Moses alone because it covers so much territory in the, in the book of Exodus and then in a couple other places that I'll mention. But basically, his life is divided into, into three 40-year periods. There was the 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh. Then there was 40 years out in the wilderness of Midian. Met his wife and under his father-in-law out there, and that's where he was a shepherd. And then 40 years he spent as the deliverer of his people from bondage in Egypt. Now, you look at Moses' life, and you see that he grew up in, in, the, in the palace of Pharaoh, and he had the finest of everything, everything that any, anybody could want. The Egyptians were looked up to at that time as the most influential people of the world. And you would think that, okay, this was the way that he was being prepared to take over the leadership of Egypt. But God had other plans. He used that experience that Moses had to prepare him to be his chosen leader to lead the Israelites out of captivity from Egypt. Now, as we look briefly at his life today, we're going to see that Moses was able to do all of this because of the decisions that he made. And he had a faith that allowed him to make some tough, difficult decisions about his life. And, and that allowed him to be the person that God could use to fulfill what he needed in a leader to take his people out of captivity in Egypt at the appointed time and lead them out into freedom. Now we find that decisive faith of Moses described in again Hebrews 11, the roll call of the faithful, when the writer of Hebrews says this about Moses beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. The writer of Hebrews has some powerful things to say about Moses and the decisive faith that Moses exercised. 
And that decisive faith that Moses exercised allowed him then to experience the great reward that comes from obedience, being obedient to what God has called you to do in life. So when we look at Moses' life and, and the challenge that God had given to him, it might be something that we have, might have overlooked. In fact, we were having a discussion about that this week with a couple of guys, Rick and a couple of us here talking about this. And I raised a question because I'd been doing my homework on Moses in preparation for the day. And um, something came up about the word meek or mild or gentle. And I said, doesn't the Bible say something about Moses being the meekest man that ever lived? Well, there was a discussion about whether it was or not. Well, he was. The Bible tells us that in, uh, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. And depending upon the translation that you use, the word is either meek or the word is gentle or the word is humble. But the Bible says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Now, I would say if anybody needed that, and you talk about meekness, gentleness, humbleness, that talks about a a certain sense of um, peace within your heart and ability to be able to handle all the issues of life and to deal with them uh, by by not losing your cool. And, And Moses had good reason as to why he needed that in his life. He was called upon to lead, however you figure, somewhere between two to three million Israelites out of, out of Egypt and lead them towards the promised land. And along the way, they sound a lot like Baptists. Along the way, they complained, they grumbled, they griped, they rebelled. They did all those things. They had been better to have stayed in Egypt rather than have to go through some of the difficulties that were before them before they could even reach into the promised land. And so Moses needed all of that. He needed that humbleness. He needed that gentleness. He needed that meekness. And it comes from a peace of mind when you're able to have a decisive faith that you can make the faith decisions that you need to make to get your life priorities in order. And those life priorities are the answers to four questions. Not only that Moses answered, but four questions that we all need to ask and then answer in our life. It doesn't matter where you are. Whether you're in our children's ministry, whether in our student ministry, whether you're a young adult, whether you're a medium adult or a senior adult. You need to make sure that you have answered these questions. And they are decisive questions. In other words, you have to have a decisive faith to answer these questions. They are, who am I? What do I want to be? What is important in my life? And how am I going to live? Those are four basic questions that without having the proper answer for them, you're not going to have a sense of peace in your life. You're not going to have the relationship with God that you need. You're not going to have the relationship with God that He wants you to have. But Moses was able to make those tough decisions through his faith and answer those questions. So let's look at them quickly this morning. First of all, Moses made the decision about his identity. In verse 24 of Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, Refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that's a decisive step that he made. And he had the faith to make that. And in doing that, he was answering the question, who am I? Well, we know that he spent 40 years growing up in Pharaoh's palace. He was known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so, most everybody would think probably logically that 
He was an Egyptian to the very core. But there had to be that sense of struggle that went on within Moses because he's saying, well, I was born of Hebrew parents. I was born an Israelite. I grew up in Pharaoh's household. So who am I going to be? Am I going to be an Israelite? Or am I going to be an Egyptian? And that was the issue that he had to deal with. That was the struggle that was going on within his life as he reached that point in his life and God began to deal with him. See, he he was being groomed to be second in command in Egypt. But God was beginning to stir in his life that he had a plan for him and leadership position and and a role of leadership and authority that God had for him that was far greater than being a leader in Egypt. Now, you look at Moses and think, well, how tough was that decision for him to make? That was his heritage. He he was a Hebrew by birth. Yeah, but look at 40 years in 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 the Pharaoh's palace. That couldn't have been a thing that he could have wanted for, right? He could have stayed there and been comfortable all of his life. He could have ascended to a great role of leadership and authority there. But he dealt with that question, who am I? And and every one of us has to come to grips with that question and make a decisive faith move in answer to that question. We have to accept who we are and our true identity, and our place in God's plan if we're going to know fulfillment in life and peace in life. And it goes much farther and deeper than just simply pretending to be somebody you're not. It's discovering who you are in God's estimation. So what does the Bible say about us? What does the Bible say about you? If you're wondering about this, you've got an identity complex, what what does the Bible say that can help you make this decision? Well, it tells you that you were made in the image of God. Many places it tells us that. You go back to the beginning of creation in Genesis and we're told that. God said, let, let, let the, the perfect unity uh, of, the, of the Trinity in heaven was speaking. He said, let's, let's make man in our image. And so he did so. We find that also echoed in the New Testament, at least several places. In 1 Corinthians eleven seven, we're told that we are the image and glory of God. James 3, 9 tells us that we've been made in God's likeness. So, you are created in God's image. In some way, God has created you to reflect and reveal His glory. You're created in His image. Secondly, God has invested a lot in you. He has created you and me in such a way that we possess a body, a soul, and a spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 tells us that. The writer there, Paul says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what do we find that? We got a body. We all live in a body. Then we have a soul. What's our soul? The soul is our total makeup, who we are. You know, that has to deal with our personality, our id, our ego, and all of that. And we all have that soul. Then there's that eternal part that we have, and that is our spirit. That's the eternal part. And then that leads us then to say that God has then not only created you in His image, not only has He given us a body, soul, and a spirit, but He's also placed eternity in your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. I think that's, a, that's, that's a, a several ways in which we can look at that aspect. I think in some way it's the answer that Job so many years ago asked the question, if a man die, will he live again? 
what happens after life in this world? Is this, is this life all there is? And the answer is no. No, there is an eternity for everybody. There is an eternity beyond this life. This life is just temporary. This is short. No matter how long you live in this world, it is very, very short compared, of course, to eternity. I think the second way it answers that question is that there is a longing and a desire on the part of everybody to know about this eternity and where we will spend it, and that calls for a decision that we have to make. He has placed eternity in our heart. And you have to long for that and know that, know that there is an eternity and you have to make a conscious decision about where you're going to spend eternity. That leads us then to the next logical understanding about what God says about you. And that says to us that God has purchased your life. Through Jesus Christ, God has made the ultimate sacrifice, paid the ultimate price to purchase your life. You're not your own, you're His. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. You see, Jesus went to the cross and paid your sin debt, paid my sin debt, and as a result of that, we're not our own, but God owns us. And then that leads then to the next thing about understanding who we are, and that is that if when we come to accept what God in Christ has done for us on the cross... And we accept the forgiveness that He offers us and the freedom from our sin and the guilt of our past. And we understand that we're not our own, but that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ as He sacrificed it on the cross. Then we're a new person. We're born again, the Bible tells us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, we have all this benefit in the New Testament of all this Scripture that Moses didn't have. And, of course, Jesus hadn't come and hadn't gone to the cross during that time. But Moses knew that there was an ultimate identity question that he had to answer. Who am I? And he answered that by saying, I choose not to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but I choose to be an Israelite. You're faced with the ultimate issue, the ultimate question today. Who are you going to be? Are you going to be God's child or are you not going to be God's child? You're going to be a child of the devil or are you going to be a child of God? Are you going to understand that you're created in God's image to reflect His glory? That God's put eternity in your heart? That God has purchased you through Jesus Christ? And in Jesus Christ you are a new creation. You see, you can't move on in life and answer all the other questions until you answer that one. Who am I? And my prayer today would be that if you don't know who you are, that you will come to make that decision today. And you will become a child of God. Now the second thing we see Moses doing is that Moses chooses personal responsibility. Hebrews 11.25 says, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now, that answers the question, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Moses chose the direction of his life. Moses chose by faith the direction of his life. And you need to understand today that your destiny is not a matter of chance, but it is a matter of choice. God has given you a free will, a self-will. And it gives you insight and wisdom and guidance for you to make that decision. 
He has a plan for you and he wants you to make the right decision. He won't force you to do it, but he'll give you all the resources that will help you make that. Moses was proactive. He made the decision. Too many times we want to be indecisive about avoiding making the decisions. But the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that Moses' choice led him to a rough life, but yet a blessed life. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, rather than enjoy everything that came his way if he chose to be the the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he chose to be an Israelite. See, today I think we tend to avoid the tough decisions that move us out of our comfort zone. We need to understand, once again, that Christianity is not just a religion. It's about a relationship with God, and then it goes deeper than that. And, and we, in the relationship with God, are called upon to attempt great things for God. Most of us would just rather be safe and secure and have a couple of issues, questions in life answered. God expects more of us than that. Uh, I'm reminded of a story that took place in a Midwestern town in the United States. And in that town was a lady by the name of Nancy Jones. And she was the the town's eldest citizen. And when she died, the editor of the newspaper wanted to write a feature article about her. And he sat down to start writing about her. And he realized, you know, I don't know a whole lot to say about her. Um, She didn't do anything really bad. But she really didn't do anything significant with her life. And I think in some way that kind of describes a lot of us. For most of us, we hadn't really done anything really bad. Some of us have, but most of us haven't done anything really bad, but at the same time, we really haven't done anything really significant, have we? So he decided he'd take a break and go down to where a lot of people would hang out. The editor of the paper did, and he went down to the local cafe, and there was the uh, local funeral director. And lo and behold, he was wrestling with the same thing, what to put on the lady's tombstone. She didn't have any family. The town was having to take care of all this. What to put on her tombstone? He said, I can't think of anything. And so they talked about it for a while. So the newspaper editor decided he'd go back to the newspaper office. And the first person he saw on staff, he would put in charge of writing Miss Jones' obituary. And that's a dangerous thing. Because the first person he ran into was the sports editor. Now you imagine that, being a sports editor and having to write the obituary for this lady. And so somewhere in a Midwestern town, in a cemetery here in the United States, there's a tombstone which has these words upon it. Here lie the bones of Nancy Jones, for her life held no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. I think many of us are like Miss Jones. We haven't done anything terribly wrong. I mean, we've all sinned. But at the same time, we've never ventured to step out really in faith or a decisive faith and attempt something great for the kingdom of God. And all what we miss out on when we live that way. Many of us are afraid to take risks. 
And yet we have a relationship with a God who can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever imagine asking of him. Moses wasn't afraid to make that decision. That's why I say he had a decisive faith. Moses was willing to take the risk and attempt great things for God. And that leads then to the third thing about Moses' faith. And we see that Moses faced the issue of priorities. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. This is where he answers the question, what is important in my life? What is important in my life? Now, I guess we could really look at Moses' life and we'd say, how difficult a struggle could that be to make that decision? Look at everything he had going for him. He lived in the palace of Pharaoh. He had ultimate power, ultimate pleasure, and ultimate possessions. What else could you want? In fact, far too many people today spend their life in pursuit of those three things. Power, pleasure, and possessions. But yet there was a stirring in Moses' soul by faith that he knew God had something greater for him to do. And he would have to forsake something. The writer says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. He knew there was a greater reward ahead of him than the monetary blessings of life. See, Moses had a higher calling and priority for his life, and that was the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with being in in places of position or power or influence or priority because God can use you in those places. But the problem comes when the position or the priority or the pleasures become first and foremost as the priority of your life. And the challenge for us today is is to answer the question that Moses answered, and that is, what are the priorities of my life? What, What responsibility am I going to accept? And we have a great challenge for us that Jesus gave to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Moses didn't have this challenge. He hadn't heard this yet. New Testament hadn't come along. But yet I think he, in his heart this is what he was answering because in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, that's the challenge for us by faith to make the kingdom of God the ultimate priority in our life. We're probably all familiar with the credit card advertisements that ask the question, what's in your wallet? A lot of different celebrities advertise that and ask that question. What's in your wallet? Well, let me ask you another one. What is the priority of your life? What's the priority of your life? That you will never find peace, contentment, and wholeness, and fulfillment, and meaning in life until you decide that the kingdom of God is the ultimate priority of your life and you accept that responsibility. Moses did by faith. And he didn't have all that we have for the last 2,000 years plus of the New Testament teaching of Christ and all, the, all of the revelation about Christ. Well, what a man of faith he was. 
And then we led to the fourth point, and that is that Moses settled the issue of perseverance. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Moses answered the question, how am I going to live? And the answer we see today is he persevered. Other translations say he endured. Moses was successful because he had the faith in his relationship with God that allowed him to persevere. Even because even when he hadn't seen the one who was invisible, he was able to persevere. And you and I have a great challenge as well that the writer of Hebrews gives to us in the next chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it goes like this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose The writer of Hebrews, I think, is making it clear that, number one, you're signing up for not a sprint but a marathon when you accept the responsibility of the kingdom of God. And it can be discouraging at times. It can be tough at times. It can be difficult at times. You can feel like giving up at times. But he says, when you keep your eyes focused on Jesus who shunned everything and went to the cross, even with a spirit of gratitude and joy, when you keep your eyes focused on him, you can persevere to the end. Moses persevered to the end. And he didn't hear that. He he had his faith in the one who was yet invisible. He just knew that in his heart, that sense of eternity that God had placed in everybody's heart, he knew that there was something more than life in this world, and he wanted to commit his life to that. And he persevered. He endured to the end. And when we are decisive about faith issues and the kingdom of God, then we are able to persevere and not give up as well. And Moses is a great example for that. Long before Jesus came, Moses made the decision by faith to be committed to the kingdom of God. And he persevered. So, Those are our life challenges that we find from Moses. He challenges us to have the faith to be decisive about the major questions in life. You can't answer the major questions in life without faith. He challenges us to accept the upfront risk involved in being obedient to God. God might not call you and probably won't any of us. To lead two or three million people. But at the same time, as a part of the kingdom of God in relationship with God, as Moses was, wherever God places us, we have that opportunity for influence, for His glory, and for the kingdom of God. And Moses, by his decisive faith, is a great example for us to follow. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these wonderful characters from the Old Testament who lived in in a time 
so different from ours, and yet in so many ways so much like ours. And they did it all by faith. I thank you for revealing yourself to them in such a way that they were able to respond in faith. And we thank you today for Moses and his decisive faith and how he was able to make these decisions that allowed him to answer these questions in life about who he was and what he would do and what his priorities would be and how he would endure and finish strong for you. Help us today, Father, to be willing to take this challenge and be decisive with our faith and take risk for you, to be bold for you as we live for your glory. Father, we pray these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.